Hello and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca. What's going on, Bill? What's up, AJ? Uh, we also have super producer Craig Stanton on the line. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. When did he get the title super producer? When did that yeah, happen? Try to spice it up. You know, don't worry about it. Show respect. Okay. Uh, anyway, what's new, AJ? I'm kind of sick of snow right now, and I know we're only in February, but for those who don't know, here up in the uh, the northeast, in the Boston area, we got a blizzard last weekend, and it was awful. It was bad. It was bad. Didn't realize how out of shape I was until like it felt like someone punched mm. my sternum at like full force, <laughs> and my arms felt like Gumby. But I think I'm doing much better. Much, yeah. much better. Yeah, it's uh, my shoulder still doesn't really work from shoveling the deck, but uh, here we are. Um, hey, before we dive into things, I wanna um, I want to let you know that I finally made good on our little agreement bet that we had, which was I would watch Pig and you watch Chef. Six months ago, you watched. Yeah, Chef I watched I Chef a while ago. Pig. Yep, I kept well, that end of the bargain. I watched Pig finally. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. We talked about that last show as one of my picks for best of the year. Uh, how did you find it? It was good. It was it was weird. It's a weird, weird film. It is. Uh, but as someone who enjoys uh, good food and good cinematography, I'm actually not a big uh, Nicolas Cage fan, but I actually think he was phenomenal in this role. It was just a good, fast-paced. Actually, what do you call it? Fast-paced. I think the 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 pace of the the film in terms of mm-hmm. start to finish was good. But it's a slow burn. Um, really good dialogue. Really good food scenes. Really emotional. That yeah. pig man. It's fantastic. It is. Uh, and you know, we talked last time also about Ben Affleck being kind of roll to roll. And I feel like Nick Cage is similar when it's something that he can really sink his teeth into and, and give a performance like this. He's a fantastic actor. And then obviously he has other things that he does in between these types of projects. What do you think um, they paid him for something like, like this? Can't like be that a couple much. Hershey kisses and a handshake. I just feel like he was, <laughs> he was in it for not the money. He, yeah. Like, he was just dialed in. This is dialed oh. in for the art. I love it. Good beard, good hair. Uh, but yeah, I think it was great. Good recommendation. If anyone hasn't seen it, uh, Pig, it's on Netflix. It's not John Wick with a pig, though. I think we should. I think we. I, well, I think that's how, unfortunately, it was sort of advertised. Or if you just read the log line, that's the takeaway. But it's so much more than that, which is why we got to get the word out there. It's it's worth seeing regardless. Definitely. All right. What are we? Uh, what are, how are we breaking this down today? What are we doing? Well, why don't we go through uh, the news? What's what's been in the news uh, last couple of weeks? AJ, let's uh, talk about that. Couple good ones. Um, your 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 favorite. Your boy Adam McKay is going to direct a movie about the January sixth insurrection. Bill, my question for you is: How soon is too soon? Like, I feel like this just just happened. Well, what's like the threshold or cutoff date for doing a a movie based on real events. It's a tough question, AJ. Uh, for this movie, it's too soon. I'm just gonna we'll just make that <laughs> abundantly clear up front. Especially for someone like McKay, who we've talked about, does not exactly have a subtle way about him when it comes to uh, these types of stories uh, and political stories in general. Uh, so this, I feel like, is too soon. Uh, but I mean, it's I feel like it's got to be a couple years. Usually, some separation for the audience and for the aftermath and to be able to look at it with, with a, a more objective perspective than the emotion we just had during the event itself. So 
I mean, I, I'd like to say a couple of years. That being said, there are some exceptions as well. Um, like United like 93. United 93 came out pretty soon, only a year or two after 9-11. That was the Paul Greengrass film. You know uh, what the difference and between... I that United, was pretty good. But you know what the difference is? What's that? Is that no one had cell phone footage of what happened on that plane. That's true. They did have we to had, dramatize the events. True. We had news coverage. We had cell phone footage. We got to watch it in real time unfold. So like whatever views you have about the event and whatever you think about the event, you could you could determine by yourself without having someone to kind of dramatize a story for you. We get to watch it unfold in real time. Yeah, that's a big factor because that will be the, the comparison people make where it's not like a World War One movie where they got to use their imagination and compare it to a book they've read. Like they exactly, we saw this. So that is, that is true. That is true. Do you have a, a thought in mind for yourself in terms of like a cutoff or a, a grace period, a statute of limitations? I feel like it has to be like, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but like it's like pre Instagram story, pre TikTok is fair game, right? I feel right. like now this is the example moving forward. Now that everything is covered and everyone always has their phone on them, it's going to be really hard to, 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 to pick an event in time in the foreseeable future that happens and then be able to create a movie about it. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I don't want to, I'd say two years minimum personally, but it's also hard to set a number like that when, you know, if the, if the script is right, if the production is right, if the, the heart's in the right place and they do something well, like, I don't know, I'm not going to deny someone their, their art, but I mean, I would think you need some time. More, more so than time for this. That's for that's for sure. Yeah, but and then another aspect of it too is like, how much of the film are you focusing on? Two hours, four hours, eight hours versus what led up to it or what happened afterwards. How much is it is a snapshot in time versus like events that transpired over a few days? That's what I have trouble with too. Yeah, right? is like where yeah. do you where do you enter and where do you exit? Because situations like this, like. You can't make a two and a half hour movie that covers. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess that, you could, but it just. Yeah. I don't know. That's a big question is how do you handle the script for something like this? It's kind of what they've been doing with biographies lately. Like, you know, years ago, any sort of biopic used to be sort of cradle to grave. We just followed the person's entire life in broad strokes. And lately, the last probably 10 years or so, biopics have gotten a lot more. Um, interesting where they just kind of focus particularly i'm thinking of lincoln jumps to my head where spielberg focuses on one major aspect of lincoln's life which is the passing of of the uh the constitutional amendment that abolished slavery focuses on that few months of passing that legislation but in doing so uses that as a way to talk about the man himself and kind of tell his story without telling the whole thing so i wonder for the insurrection movie do you do it as Either like a boots on the ground, just following one person, uh, or because yeah, covering it from beginning to end with news footage and whatever else they, the hacky things they decide to cut in there, like could be really bad. Or maybe it's really interesting. Maybe you follow the guard that like drew people away. Maybe you tell his story. Like if they find a micro story within it, I think it could be interesting. If they just try to say, "Here's the insurrection that you just saw," I think it's gonna f- fail. Good question, AJ. Uh, AV Club uh, has reported that Universal Studios is being sued for cutting one of our all-time favorites, 
Ana de Harmes uh, from uh, Danny Boyle's Yesterday movie. Danny Boyle's uh, Yesterday was a film about a gentleman who singer-songwriter in the world forgets the Beatles exists one day. So he basically steals the Beatles songs. Yes, yeah. She was in the original trailer. She was supposed to be a secondary uh, love interest in the film. She was cut. Two people rented the movie because they saw her in the trailer, found out she wasn't, and now they are suing Universal for false advertisement. God bless America. I mean, if there's anybody to sue over... It's Anna. I yeah. mean, she yep. is just a mm-hmm. national treasure. Truly. So I say, fuck it, take all their money. <laughs> yeah. I saw Have you ever seen this? Like, what is what? What's the precedent for this? I do. Can we get a? I only study bird law, so I can only talk about <laughs> avian type situations. But I have no idea if this is going to stand up. Oh, it's unheard of. It will. It's going to get dismissed. I mean, it has to get dismissed, right? Like, has to get dismissed in out of hand. How? It's false advertisement. I, I, there, there has so. Let me first say that like this happens all the time. Uh, sure does. They have to cut the trailer months before the movie's done, so they can start to advertise. And a lot of these movies, especially effects-driven movies, they're finishing right up to release. But they got to start advertising the thing six months to a year ahead of time, depending on how big the movie is. So they're they're making trailers out of whatever snippets they've got so far. And I've seen plenty of trailers back when I used to watch trailers. I would see plenty of trailers where there's a scene and I'm waiting for that scene to occur in the movie and then it never does. And it's super frustrating. It's part of the reason I don't watch trailers anymore. Uh, but yeah, it's I, to me, it's like one of those things. It's just that's what happens. It's a part of life. She, she ended up on the cutting room floor. What are you going to do? Like, that's just how it went. I, I, I don't see any liability on the studio. I think you need to come to terms with reality. If you're listening and you're a litigation expert or you study <laughs> some sort of contractual law, uh, drop us a comment. Let us know. What's going to happen here? It's very interesting. I had no idea she was supposed to be in the... I've, I've watched the film. I had no idea she was supposed to be in it. So same, same. It's interesting to see how this plays out, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But, you know, she is just... She's a national treasure. And I yeah, the should, I mean, the, yeah, the real villain here is the fact that she got cut to begin <laughs> with. Like, come on now. During the conference championships this weekend, we got a sneak peek of the... The Halo series on Paramount Plus dropped their newest trailer, and Bill, I am torqued. Are you? Are you kidding me? I I am too. I'm surprised you are. Oh, I thought, first of all, I thought it was going to be animated, live action. Second thing, the fact that it actually follows like Halo from Halo 1 rather than some side story or whatever, like we get Master Chief in his element. Yes. So my question was going to be, are you excited as I am? Yes, I am 100% excited. I was not super excited when I heard they were making a TV show. I was kind of like, well, whatever. And then they did a couple teasers and they were fine, whatever. But this full trailer where you get to see the scope of the show. And like for me, this is like kind of the the, the like boyhood nerdy part. Just seeing yes. the vehicles like come to life in full size, like all the ships, the Banshee, the Warthog, like all these things, seeing them like in rea- quote unquote reality. I was so stoked. I, I mean, I, I'm, you're, I'm probably with you and you're with me is the amount of times I stayed up all night with my friends playing split screen land party. Halo. Oh, yeah. was just 
too many it to was, count. It was a staple. It was a staple. So it was a staple. So I, we're both and excited. and and they have the actual uh, voice actress who does Cortana playing the role of Cortana. Uh, it's it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. I'm excited. I don't. The have, only problem uh, is we don't. I think we're about to say the same thing. The only problem is it's on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. What am I going to use Paramount Plus for? I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm praying that I can just like buy this the season on a on a video on demand service or something like that instead of doing. I I'm not doing the Paramount Plus thing. I'll have to find it another way. You hear here, folks. Because yeah, there's nothing unless I want to watch Yellowstone or some such shit. Like I don't know what I'm going to use Paramount Plus for. Which apparently is worth it because our boy wrote it. Oh, Tyler Sheridan is that? Yeah, yeah, the writer of Hell or Hell, Hell or High Water and Wind Sicario. River, Sicario. Yep. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, but yeah, I'm gonna find a way to watch that Halo show now. Love it. All right, why don't we jump into some reviews, Bill? I think this might set a record for the most times that I've watched the same movies that you have in the period of time. Uh, two. I think we're at two. Yeah, two. Yeah, I think we're at two. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I love it. It's great. Let's open Come with those, man. Two. Where do you want to? Where do you want to jump in? Let's start with Encanto. Here, let me let me pull up the old synopsis. A young Colombian woman has to face the frustration of being the only member of her family without magical powers. Bill, should I go see it? Yes, it is available on Disney Plus. And I recommend you give it a give it a watch. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So we both saw this one, uh, and you know it's a musical with music from Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh, and I got to be honest, I've been listening to the soundtrack since I saw it. I've been listening to it every once in a while. Do you know right now the Bruno song has overtaken uh, "Let It Go" as like the most streamed and downloaded and purchased Disney song of all time? Uh, yeah, I have been following that story. It's shocking. It's also like the number one song in the country. And the only time that's happened before for Disney was Whole New World from Aladdin. Wow. Yeah, I was listening to, I was like 104.1 was on the radio the other day and it came on. And I was like, are they really playing the Bruno song over the air right now? And <laughs> yeah, they were. It, it's huge. Yeah, the, the music is good. Um, I don't think that song is as good as Let It Go. I think that that song is really just taking off because of TikTok and and other things that people have been like memeing, memeing it, memifying it. Uh, so it became really popular <laughs> through through that. Uh, I don't think it's as good as those other songs, but the, the music in there generally is solid, and the visuals, I mean, are just breathtaking. Yeah, how are we? What are we? What are we rating this? Because technically, it's not a Pixar movie; it's a Disney animation Animations. film. Yep. Where, like, where, what? What are your thoughts? How do you rank it? What what's your ultimate feeling? I have some thoughts about the film, but I'd love to hear yours first. Uh, I mean, I think it's I think it is. Uh, I mean, I'm giving it a yes. I think it's a real solid like B plus type of type of movie. Maybe I don't I don't have a list in front of me of Disney animations in particular, but I would say this is in the same realm as like a mid tier Pixar. I think it's I think it's got those qualities. I think the sight gags were really funny. Uh, I thought the voices were all great. Uh, the music we talked about, the visuals, the thing I want to mention about the visuals that I appreciate is it's what you do with the visuals at this point. Like we've reached, we've gotten so far in the medium when it comes to to visual effects, particularly CG animation, where, you know, it looking good is 
fine, but the last five Pixar movies have all looked great in Disney animation movies. So it's really what you do with it. And I thought they did a nice job, especially during the musical numbers, particularly with the sisters, where they really made proper use of the medium and and made it interesting as opposed to just making a really good looking thing. Like they actually went out there and there was some surrealism. There was some fantastic elements to it. Uh, so I thought they were really clever in using sort of the, the magic of the story and telling it through through the visual. So just a lot of thought went into it. You can tell that it's it's a it's a you know a passion project for for the folks involved. Yeah, I think um, visuals were incredible. Music was great. I think the story was like a eight or nine out of a ten until the last twenty five minutes of the film, thirty minutes of the film, when they could have dr- driven a point home that was different than all other Disney tropes, for example, but they kind of fell back into their same Disney type routine. Also, what's the deal with Disney and like dead parents and dead grandparents? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They do have, uh, that is a a common storytelling trope. There's no doubt about it, particularly in the Disney history. I mean, we can go back to Bambi for that. so, yeah, that's true. I mean, that is just sort of a standard piece. of. I mean, the writing in general, besides the jokes, like I said, I think it was funny. The structure of the story, not the best, but again, it's, it's, it's a kid's movie. But like one of the major plot points that moves the story forward is that our protagonist happens to overhear a character say something that when they're talking out loud to themselves, it's like, it's one of those things. It's kind of lazy writing. Like you could have been a little more elegant in how you move the narrative forward. But again, it's not. It's for it's rated G or whatever. So like, I'm not gonna knock it too too much for for that type of thing. I do agree with you though. The end, the end, uh, they hedged on the end uh, a little bit more than I wanted them to. That was one of the first things I think I texted you about after I finished it. Was I was a little disappointed they didn't really stick the landing as much as they could have. But again, I think these are all minor points compared to the enjoyment that you'll get watching it. Let's go on to another animated movie that we both watched this week, uh, Mitchell's vs. the Machines. Um, A quirky, dysfunctional family's road trip is upended when they find themselves in the middle of the robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. Bill, should I go see it? Yes, absolutely. It's on Netflix, and you have to watch it right now. This was one of the best movies I've seen in 10 years. Not only one of the best animated movies, but truly one of the best movies yes, I've seen in the yes. last 10 years. No questions asked. Like, if you're going to watch anything after this podcast, go watch Mitchell's vs. the Machines. Uh, yeah, I would say pause what you're doing if you want and just watch this movie. I absolutely loved it. It came out last year, I think, in the spring or summer. I don't know how I missed it, uh, but... I, I wish I had seen it last year because it would honestly maybe be my number one movie of last year. Like it was so good. Like looking at the notes I made to be able to talk about it, I wrote, haven't laughed this hard in a while, crying, laughing, laughing out loud throughout. <laughs> like, like it was just so good. I just enjoyed it so much. Phenomenal writing, phenomenal voice acting. The story yeah. was, you read it on paper and you're like, ugh. But the way the characters like, evolve and change and like come out of their shell but are still their 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 characters yep. at heart and are 
thrown into these ridiculous situations is phenomenal. I'm not a big fan of mixed media, but the way that they do the animation with like overlays and YouTube videos and stuff is so out of control. And like you yep. said, Bill, I was literally laughing from the moment it came on to the moment it ended. It was it was that hilarious. Yeah, it I mean, it has the usual family movie tropes and it's a little heavy handed at times, but they do such a good job, like you said, with the characters and the voices and fleshing out the characters that even though I knew exactly what the movie wanted me to feel and like I you can see the strings of like what they're trying to orchestrate in you emotionally because it's it's a family movie and that's a kid's movie and that's how it comes across like you can tell it's I was still teary by the end like it's like even though I knew exactly what they were doing and saw it coming I still got emotional over it because I was so invested at that point because it was so funny that it kept me engaged the entire time along the way uh and and you know you mentioned the animation overlay I would say if you're going to watch this the first 15 minutes or so it definitely needs to kind of rev up and it's kind of meme based humor and stuff like that but once you get into the robots and the technology humor and the robot humor it is just I was all in at that point. I was just completely smitten with the movie. Um, I think this is a Sony animation's first feature length film or first. Yeah. Right. I don't know if it's a first, I just know that it is definitely is Sony and it's a Lord and Miller production. And if you recognize those names, they've had their hands in a lot of great comedy over the last couple of years, including the Lego movie, uh, which is another one of my favorite animated films ever. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah, Lord Miller also did uh, Lego. And I would put Mitchell's The Machines right up close to it. Also, yeah, same if you're another a Disney aficionado. Uh, I believe Gravity Falls. Um, they were the directors and creative consultants on Gravity Falls, too. Um, I think their very first thing was Clone High back on MTV uh, when I was Wait, a kid. those are guys for Clone High? I'm pretty sure that's where they got their start. Oh, when JFK throws a, go- a gopher into the girls' locker room, I'll still never forget that to the day that I die. <laughs> Craig, you don't remember that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Clone High was a show on MTV where they, they bring back all these famous people, right? Abraham Lincoln is the main character, yeah. Yeah, and they bring them back and they put them in high school. Because they got to grow still, even though they're clones. So you have <laughs> a high school that has Lincoln, Gandhi, Cleopatra. Cleopatra, JFK. And it's just yeah. hysterical. Um, so yeah, Mitchell's Machines. Got to watch it. Got to watch it. What do we got uh, up next? What do we got? So there's uh, three other dramas I watched and then a documentary. Uh, we don't have to go super in-depth on all of them, but uh, the first one is Old Henry. Old Henry, Old Henry, uh, an action Western about a farmer who takes in an injured man with a satchel of cash. When a posse comes for the money, he must decide who to trust. Defending a siege, he reveals a gunslinging talent, calling his true identity into question. I feel like that just that just sold. I mean, that just told the entire movie. So yeah, no, I, did. It. Uh, I gave it a yes. But it's it is definitely not for everybody. Uh, I gelled with it, but I don't think any not everybody would. It is a very slow burn. The pacing is just not what a lot of people might be used to, especially when you read that it's like an action western. But there's really only two action sequences, and the the last one is like you know the inevitable confrontation, the big shootout at the end of every western. Sure, like that's really the main action, but it takes ninety minutes to get there, so it's not going to be for everybody. But that third act is great. You kind of alluded to uh, a reveal at the end, which is fantastic. It's beautiful. Like most Westerns, it's got great landscapes and things like that. 
Um, it was great. Tim Blake Nelson plays a lot of Western type characters. Um, and so he's fantastic. And, and him getting a lead role, I think is great. Cause oftentimes you always see Tim Blake Nelson as just like a side character. So yeah. He you was would, great. You would, you would know him from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, uh, yep. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Minority Report. Films. Minority Report. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, and then Stephen Dorff is in it as well. Uh, and he, I feel like after True Detective Season 3, he's kind of been doing like the Western affect. And I think he's been doing it really, really well. Uh, it suits him. So he's really good in it as the antagonist. So good performances. It's Western. So you kind of know what you're getting involved in. But it's got a good ending. Um, I actually thought it was better than Power of the Dog, which is the Netflix Western that a lot of people think might win Best Picture. It got Best uh, Drama at the Golden Globes. I actually like this better, personally. Um, The only qualm I had with this movie, besides the pace being a little slow, is that they didn't use squibs for a lot of the shootout and blood effects. It was just kind of... You could tell it was CG'd after the fact. I don't know if that's a budget issue, but like... Instead of a practical squib, like an explosion of blood on set, you could tell someone would get shot and then you would just see like a red patch kind of grow on the shirt. And I, I could just I can just tell it's CG um, and done in post, which was a little disappointing for a Western. But I mean, that's small thing I noticed that kind of took me out of it a little bit. But otherwise, uh, I thought they did a really nice job. Perfect. Uh, next is going to be Riders of Justice. Um, Marcus goes home to his teenage daughter, Matilde, right? Yes. When his wife dies in a tragic train accident, it seems like an accident until a mathematics geek who is also a fellow passenger on the train and his two colleagues show up. Ooh, Bill, should I go see it? I give it a yes. Uh, but similar to Old Henry, there's a couple caveats. One, it's a Danish film, so it is subtitled throughout. Ah, Nanga. <laughs> um, Mads Mikkelsen is in the lead. Mads. And Mads is always great. Always. So he's he's fantastic. Talk about a Danish national treasure, that man, huh? Oh my god, right? Just like raspberry and cheese on a on a puff pastry. Yeah, <laughs> that's a Danish. Joke. I, I I didn't thank you for the explanation. I'm not familiar. So <laughs> Mads is in it. Mads is great. He's a military guy. And then he, he, he has this, you know, a special set of skills. There's a taken element to a degree. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's such an interesting premise where you have these scientists that are like correlation experts. And they have this algorithm where if you put enough information into it about whatever, it will be able to determine potentially the future, so to speak. Um, okay. And kind of like see... It can find detect patterns. They, they don't do as much with the algorithms. I kind of wish they did. But the point is... It, what looks like an accident based on his calculation is not an accident. And so if it's not an oh, accident, okay. someone someone did something to cause that. And now Mads has to and kill his way to the top to figure out what happened. Uh, so this is the usual elements of Taken, elements of John Wick, just like every movie these days. But it's also a dark comedy in a lot of ways because the scientist team that's helping Mads are kind of like goofy side characters. They form like a surrogate family. Um, some people might watch this and think there's a bit of a, a tonal whiplash where they go from, you know, Mads brutally murdering somebody to like these goofy scientist characters. Like there's definitely a, a tone swapping, but I think they, they handle it for the most part pretty well. It's a little uneven, but it worked for me overall. Um, and the way the plot develops is something I've, I've just never seen before. I thought it was a really clever topic. Um, 
How familiar are you with Danish cinema? Uh, not very. I mean, I've seen a cut co- this uh, and a couple other Mads movies I've seen, um, but that that probably it. But it's uh, it's an interesting one. It's on, um, I believe, Amazon Prime. I forget where I watched it. It's it's on a streaming service. Is how I watched it. So we can stream it. We don't have to go to the cinema. Um, Mads National Treasure, just like our girl Hannah. Um, <laughs> yep. If you're not into Danish films and subtitles, anything else in the realm besides the Takens and the John Wicks? This might be, yeah. Actually, I got one for you. Uh, if you're interested in in sort of a quasi scientific out there action flick, uh, oldie but well, kind of oldie but a goodie. Uh, Deja Vu, the Tony Scott movie with Denzel Washington. Oh yeah, I don't know if you remember that one. I I love that movie personally. I've always loved that movie, uh, and it's it's slept on a lot. So if you haven't seen Deja Vu with Denzel, highly recommend. Uh, last for your drama movies is Clean, starring Adrian Brody, uh, tormented by his past, ugh, garbage man named Clean, ugh, attempts a quiet life of redemption, but soon finds himself forced to reconcile with the violence of his... Can anyone write... Bill, how bad was this movie? I'm not going to ask you, should I go see it? It's a no. It's a no. Garbage man named Clean. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a. I think it's a Brody passion project because he stars in it, he co-wrote it, he co-produced it, and he wrote the original music for it. Shut up. Uh, and I wonder, and I wonder if it's one of those things where he wanted to get the movie made, and the financing from the studio depended on him starring in it. Because I hear that all the time. Where an actor wants to direct something and they're like, well, only if you star in it because we need your star power to sell it. And so they reluctantly act in it. I wonder if that's what happened with this because it feels like Brady uh, Brody was involved in every aspect of it and he stars in it, but like he's not that great in it. I mean, I'm looking at the credits right now and I want to vomit, right? Riza <laughs> as Pawn Shop Curtis. <laughs> And Tino Crowley as a tattooed speaker. And then look at it. Listen to this one. Jade Scott Yorker as Dante in parentheses as Jade Yorker. What the fuck is going on? Uh, yeah, it's not great. Uh, you know, like you said, he's a ha- he has a haunted past and then he runs afoul of a local crime boss. Um, and then the, the real problem is, you know, every movie has a haunted past. Every movie's got the John Wick taken type element to it. He's a somewhat older star getting his own action movie. Like, that's, you know, what is on the docket these days. But the haunted past information is parceled out at a glacial pace. Uh, The whole movie is so slow. And it's only a 90-minute movie. But the first, you know how every one of these movies, like 20, 25 minutes in, some random person on the street bumps into him and starts a fight and then you get to see oh my god this guy's got like a hidden set of skills like that action that action piece that like kicks the narrative off he's chucking trash bags around like a ninja (laughs) (laughs) banana peels campbell soup (laughs) hands slitting throats san marzano tomatoes to the head the first time we see him in action is 50 minutes into the movie. <laughs> oh, okay. 90-minute movie. Let's, it's Let's just let's just stop there. He should have retired after the, the pianist. His music production company is called Brody Beats, so I feel like we should move on. 
and and discuss the last film. Not much to talk about. Skip it. Just skip it. Uh, last film you watched this week was a documentary, correct? The Wall? Yes. Not that one, though. What? Not the Pink Floyd film. Oh, was it? Same name. We don't need no... Okay, so you watched <laughs> The Wall Climb for Gold. Okay, this follows... Four female climbers face a sporting challenge of a lifetime as they attempt to compete in the first ever Olympic climbing competition at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Bill, should I go see it? Yes, I gave it a yes. I usually don't even review documentaries, to be honest with you. But for this one, I gave it a yes with a, with a caveat that I, I don't know if it would be as interesting to non-climbers. Yeah, I was gonna say you're. I feel like there's a bias here because you are. Time, uh, you, you like to climb. I do. I I did indoor rock climbing regularly for a few years. I haven't lately. This made me want to get back into it real bad. I missed. I missed it from watching this. So I was fully swept up in it. I knew that this past Olympics was the first time they added climbing, but I didn't really take the time to watch it. So for me, it was all new to me as far as who would win and and they follow four different women that are competing in the Tokyo Games. And they do a really nice job giving all the backstories and getting you sort of bought into cheering for all of them. But in the back of your mind, you know only one can win gold. Uh, so there's definitely, they do a nice job with the the narrative of their stories and building the drama around it. I was going to say, did you do what my wife does with The Bachelor? Did you go online and, and look up who was going to win? No, 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 no. Okay. I resisted that urge. <laughs> um, the downside though is that they spend so much time on the human interest, especially in the middle section, that when they get to the Olympics themselves, there's only like 20 minutes left and they kind of breeze through it. They don't they don't get very technical with the climbing either. Like, again, I bias as someone who has climbed before, like I'd rather see one of their climbs in full or have them talk about the difficulty of them or like take you into their mindset. But they kind of keep it more surface level and they kind of play it more as as a movie. Um, the other was just a fair warning for anybody interested in watching it is the COVID delay of the Olympics plays a factor in the story. So the whole midsection of the movie deals with COVID. And I know some people don't want to watch anything that has to do with COVID yeah. uh, when you're trying to watch something to get away from things. So uh, warning, warning out there, but it's part of the reality of the story. They don't, they don't over, you know, emphasize it, but it's certainly a key part of the, the storyline. So but yeah, I, I found it really interesting. I found it heart wrenching uh, at the end when you know only one of them can win, and you've you've kind of come to to love all of them. So I thought they did a nice job with it. Okay, how does it stack up against? There's been a bunch of really well known, well produced climbing documentaries that have come over the last couple of years. We had Free Solo, we had Maru. There's another one on Netflix right now. Like, how does it stack up against those documentaries? Uh, I think it's it's different in that it. It, following four people is is different than most of those other films all follow just one. So you can get a lot more in depth, obviously. You can kind of take your time more. You can tell more backstory. Uh, so, you know, a free solo being the, the, the standout amongst them um, is probably a stronger film overall. Um, this one is just different in that instead of just taking a climber and talking about them or talking about one feat they're, they're going to attempt, by following four different people and it being the first Olympics and it being delayed because of COVID. Like there's just more to the storyline. Um, so it's, they're different. Um, I have not seen the Alpinist yet. That was one of the ones I think that's new to Netflix. Um, so I can't compare to that one. Uh, Free Soul is probably a little bit stronger if you're looking for just a standalone documentary. 
but this one is definitely uh, if you're if this topic interests you at all, uh, definitely worth checking out. So I think that's all the reviews for the week. Let's quickly go over what we're gonna be, uh, what we're currently watching, and what's on the horizon for things we're gonna be watching next. So uh, what's on your plate? Well, after last episode, you had mentioned Peacemaker. I did. Uh, so I am now watching that as well. I'm fully caught up, so you and I can watch it at the same rate. Love it. Uh, and I'm enjoying it for the most part. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think I connect with it as much as you, but I, I, I still find it enjoyable enough. It's one of those things. John Cena just plays such a ridiculous moron that like I just can't <laughs> stop watching him. And it's cheap laughs, and it's like, kind of poorly written but like it's 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 very james gunn in terms of like music and style and comedic relief and i just i find it one of those like you know you you pop it on when you really don't know what else to watch you get a few laughs and you go to bed like i'm taking it for what it is and i'm okay with that yeah cena is the best part for sure so i'm watching it for him i think the side characters are kind of lackluster at this point the story is pretty boilerplate for any sort of a superhero story. Uh, you know, it's it's fine. Uh, but I do watch it for for Cena. And, and with the improv nature of it, it feels like, you know, it's going to be hit or miss. Where some scenes are going to go off really, really well and like you'll be dying laughing. And then some scenes are going to be complete duds, but they still keep going, hoping that it will get funnier if they keep making yeah. the same joke. So, yeah, it's it's mixed bag, but I, I'm enjoying it enough to, to finish the season. Wait, is the show improvised? There are like significant portions of it improvised. There's definitely a lot of riffing uh, in terms of the dialogue, and you can tell because at the end of the episode, post credits, they usually then show uh, another take of a scene from earlier in the episode with like different, slightly different dialogues. So you can kind of see the different riff attempts that they make. So, yeah. Uh, I got one thing. I've also been watching this week. Um, season three of Servant. Which wow, you're still going. Oh, she, my God my bless. lovely, beautiful wife is she hates horror movies, but she loves this shit. We were both so captivated by season one of M. Night yes. Shyamalan's The Servant or Servant on Apple TV. And then it literally just took a fucking nosedive after season one was over <laughs> when you say we both are you talking about you and me or you and your wife oh yeah yeah me and you me and you were both captivated yes 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 and True. Then, okay yes True. I, I we both got through season two and you looked me in the eye and you're like i'm never i'm not watching any more episodes of that i'm out i tapped out and now i'm on to season three they're literally just recycling the same episode and the same writing and the same thing every goddamn week and i don't know how they're how how it's going to continue to happen i don't i uh, yeah yeah, I mean, I'm an M. Night Shyamalan apologist. I've always loved M. Night, I, his early work especially. So I was I was amped for it. Um, but yeah, I found myself less and less interested. So I have not done season three. It would probably take a lot for me to j- j- jump back into it. We'll see. Don't do it. Um, lastly, I got a couple movie tickets secured and ready to go. Uh, so for our, <laughs> for our listeners, a uh, little tease... For what's to come, uh, I have tickets to see Moonfall and Uncharted. Are you selling these tickets? What's happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like the guy outside the garden. I got two for Moonfall. I got two. He's got two. Uh, I'm seeing Moonfall and Uncharted in the coming weeks, oh, so we both. will review those soon. I don't soon. want to. Invite somebody Moonfall. else to do it. 
looks it looks awful. like a visual effects extravaganza, uh, and I'm excited for it. Uncharted, I played all the video games, and so I mean, I feel an obligation to see it. Although I am uh, like Tom Holland being cast in every role ever. Yeah, I mean me. the, the 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 two main casts in Uncharted are the most probably dumb casts I've ever seen from a guy who's also played all of the games. So I'm not gonna watch either one of them. Um, you'll watch Uncharted when it's on streaming. I know, I know you will. I know you will. You've you've you played the game. You'll I, yeah, but I can't stand like I've I can't stand Mark Wahlberg anymore, dude. I cannot. I can't stand him. But it includes the scene from three where they fall out of the, the back of the plane. Of the it's my plane. favorite mission in Uncharted history. Yeah, my mission is to never watch that movie. <laughs> so I'll chart a course to never. <laughs> on that note, thank you all for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Send us a message or a comment. We always appreciate it. Bye. Adios. Adios.